a dose of deception with the queens of queens, Shannon and Emily. In our podcast, we'll be discussing murders, missing persons cases, mysteries, and a whole lot of conspiracy theories. So stay tuned for the wild ride. Hey queens, welcome back to Dose of Deception. This is episode seven and Emily is very, very excited about what we're talking about today. So we're going to get into that real quick. But first, we just want to remind you guys about our other social media accounts. Our primary one is our Instagram page that is at Dose of Deception. We also have a Facebook page where our fans can interact with each other. And that is Dose of Deception as well in Facebook groups. So Emily's going to kick us off. Yes. So I'm very excited for today. Because we're talking about the Yuba County Five. Great. I will be excited about that later. I know nothing about it. (laughs) All right. So this case is insane. I know a lot of people um, I know have wanted me to do this. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to dive into it. It is one of the most insane cases. It will keep you up at night. It is so frustrating. I can't wait. (laughs) It's it's a great case. And it's kind of like Elisa Lam, where there's no clear-cut explanation for what could have happened. I hate that. There's a lot of different theories. Um... Mm -hmm. Some don't even make sense, but there's still, like, pieces of truth in each one Mm. that it's very frustrating. Mm. So the Yuba County Five is the name given to five young men from Yuba City, California, who all had intellectual and mental disabilities. This case is also referred to the American Dyatlov Pass. Do you know what that is? No. (laughs) Okay, so Dyatlov Pass. Dyatlov Pass took place in Russia in 1959. Okay. Which I'm going to be doing, I'm going to cover this as well. So I'm not going to, like, go into it right now. But basically, nine, I believe nine it was, Russian um, students went mm-hmm. up to the mountains to camp. And it was during the winter. It was cold. Uh, I told you about it. Yes, yes. Somehow they all died in crazy ways. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to Yuba County Five. Mm-hmm. Only since this is in California, they call it the American Diablo Pass. Mm, makes sense. It's insane. Mm. Well, that other one, I only know the absolute basics of that other case. And that one's absolutely mind-blowing. So kind of excited to hear this one. Yeah. So I'm just going to give you an overview of it before I get into the background of the boys. Mm-hmm. They do call them the boys because, um, I mean, they were older, but they had disabilities and they said they acted kind of like children. Their maturity mm-hmm. wasn't as developed. Okay. So if I call them the boys or men, it's the same thing. So on February 24th, 1978, the five men attended a California State University basketball game and made what was supposed to be a short visit to a gas station. And afterwards, they went to pick up snacks at okay. the gas station. Unfortunately, this quick stop to the gas station would turn into a fateful night for the young men. Mm. For context, as I said, um, they were older. So the five young men, it's going to be hard. It's going to be confusing to remember names. Okay. So just try to follow. Got it. But one of the men, he was Bill Sterling. He was age 29. I'll just call him Sterling. I'll just use last names. It's easier. The other men were Jack Hewitt, who was 24. He was the youngest. Ted Weir, he was 32. And the remaining two, which uh, were the most competent in the sense that they both served in the military, they mm-hmm. could both drive, they were the only two with driver's license, uh, they were Jack Madruga, he was 30 years old, and pay attention to this guy, <laughs> <laughs> Gary Mathias, he okay. was 25 years old, Got he was it. on the younger side. Okay. Pay attention to him, Got let it. me tell you. He's in my mind. Yep. <laughs> so let's dive into the background of them, particularly Gary Mathias, okay. because we have a lot to say about him. Gary served in the army in the early 1970s. During his time there, he developed pretty severe substance abuse issues. Eventually, during his time in the army, Gary was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and discharged. After his discharge, Gary returned to his parents' home in Yuba City, 
And the transition from the army back to civilian life was not so easy for Gary. He was almost arrested twice for two assaults he committed and ended up in the hospital a few times for psychotic breaks. Hmm. He was placed on medication soon after, and Gary's doctor said he was a crazy success case. Um, They weren't used to seeing that. And he surpassed their expectations for his recovery. So they assumed he was just kind of a hopeless case. Yeah. But they said he really responded well to the medication. Huh. Okay. His family said he did. That's good. Yeah. What is so frustrating about this case is that in 1978, mental illness was so misunderstood. Yeah. Um, Like, even nowadays it is. So I can't even imagine what it was like in 1978. And it's frustrating because it's so hard as an outsider to um, judge what could have happened in this case or Mm -hmm. why the boys made these decisions along the way. Yeah. Because they never really said what each of them had. Yeah. They kind of just labeled them all under one category yeah at that point they didn't have everything categorized into its own illnesses probably yeah exactly they kind of just sugarcoat it and they're like they have they're he's just slower like that doesn't help anyone um it's not an actual diagnosis Mm -hmm. so it is hard um to judge why like their actions and why they did it yeah but i mean i want to hear your theories Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to it So they do say that while Gary began working for his stepfather in his gardening business, um, after he got out of the army, he still wanted to, he was on disability, but he wanted to increase his income. Okay. So he got close with the four other men while working for his stepfather in the gardening business. And the other men, most of them were a bit older. So Bill Sterling and Jack Hewitt were described as having mild intellectual disabilities, while Ted Weir and Jack Madruga, who he also served in the army Madruga, they were just considered slow learners. Okay. So I don't really know. Like, it's hard. Yeah, to what degree they actually yeah. did have it problems. And Gary, remember, he had just... He had schizophrenia. He had a different... It yeah. wasn't an intellectual or learning disability. Yeah. So keep that in mind as well. Mm-hmm. To give you an image of how trusting some of these men were, Bill Sterling... He was a dishwasher at the Beale Air Force Base, but his mother made him quit when she found out that the men there would get Sterling drunk and steal all his money. Mm. So they would do that repeatedly, and he would still go back to trusting them. And I was thinking, it. I don't know, someone I was talking to said it did sound like autism, possibly because, um, I don't know personally, but their sibling has autism, and they said that they are also very trusting, they will still, they don't really understand, they kind of think that everybody is trying to help them. Yeah, they're going to think the best out of everyone. So, I mean, I'm not sure, I can't diagnose anyone, but... Yeah, but it is possible if the symptoms do align, it yeah. could be that. So all the men lived with their parents, and they were collectively known as the boys by those who knew them. Mm-hmm. The cops said they were really good kids, they never got into any trouble, everybody loved them, they were just great people to be around. Mm-hmm. And the five men, this is an important part of the case, they were part of a basketball team called the Gateway Gators. And this was for the mentally handicapped. And they were planning, so the day after their disappearance, which was supposed to be on February 25th, the Gateway Gators were scheduled to play in a week-long Special Olympics tournament. Mm. If their team won, the five men would win a week-long trip to Los Angeles. Mm. So they were very excited for the game the next day. Um, so excited, and this kind of shows also their maturity level. Yeah. They were so excited that they laid out their uniforms, asked their parents to clean their basketball shoes, and told their parents to make sure they didn't oversleep. Mm. So I feel like they had probably the maturity levels maybe like early teenagers. Yeah. Would you say? Yeah, I mean, they clearly have some responsibility if they want to make sure that everything is prepared for the next day. Yeah. Um, and it does make me also believe that they were fully intending on coming home that night. 
yeah, for sure, they wouldn't ask their parents to do all of those things for them if they had no intentions of being at the game the next day. Exactly, because a lot of people think that maybe they did this on purpose. I don't know. But, um, I don't know, I feel like they definitely were planning on coming home if they were that excited. Yeah, it's something they... Clearly, they had a lot of, like, great feelings about this team and had a lot of enthusiasm for it, so I don't think they would. And a week-long trip to L.A., damn. Who doesn't want that? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, this is basically, um... What happens before their disappearance? Jack Madruga, who him and Matthias were the only two with a driver's license, mm-hmm. he drove the group 50 miles away to Chico um, to watch a Chico State versus UC Davis basketball game. And they were happy because the team they wanted to win won, so they decided to celebrate after. Um, that's why they went to the gas station. And keep in mind, Madruga's car was a 1969 Mercury Montego. Okay. So, yeah, keep that in mind. But now... We'll get into their disappearance so that you can start theorizing, you can start understanding what happened. That was just a little bit of background on them. Now we'll get into their disappearance and the mysterious circumstances surrounding that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) after the basketball game, the boys drove to Bear's Market in Chico, which was a gas station where they picked up snacks, sodas, and cartons of milk. Mm -hmm. This was right before the store closed at 10 p.m. And this was um, verified because the store owner said that she was annoyed that they came in very late. It was very close to 10, and she wanted to close down. She was kind of pissed that five people came in. Yeah. So she definitely remembered their faces. Now, this was the last known 100% confirmed sighting of the boys being alive. Okay. They never returned home to their families, and shortly after their families woke up, the police were informed that they had not returned home, and an investigation began. Mm. Interestingly, this is something that I found super um, kind of cool, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Ted Weir's mom woke up abruptly at 5 a.m. feeling a sense that something was wrong. Mm. It's kind of, she like felt something was up, something was different. Uh, And when she phoned Bill Sterling's mother, who had also been awake since 2 a.m., she had already, so Bill Sterling's mother mother had already (laughs) phoned Jack Hewitt's mom, thinking that Mm. something was wrong as well. So, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I guess you can just feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to go through the investigation of it. There is a lot to take in, but I do want your feedback as I go through it, okay? Mm -hmm. So straight away, the Yuba County police searched the boys' route from their places of residence to Chico, where they saw the basketball game, to see if they possibly broke down or needed assistance or anything. Unfortunately, um, authorities were shocked to see no sign or no trace of the five young men along the route. Mm. This indicated that they did not get abducted, or most likely, did not get abducted or harmed um, during their trip from Chico. So a park ranger from the Plumas National Forest told authorities that he had seen Madruga's 1969 Mercury Montego parked along Oroville Quincy Road, which was up in the mountains in Chico. Mm. Strange. Yeah, up in the mountains. Like, what? Uh, He saw their car parked there on February 25th, which was um, the day that there was supposed to be their basketball game. Yeah. So they left on the 24th for the game. Mm -hmm. And instead of coming home the same way that they drove out 50 miles... They somehow, allegedly, from this park ranger who saw mm-hmm. them, ended up in the mountains, which is so off-route. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. At first, police did not think this was vital information because many people drove up into the mountains during the winter, and they did not think that it was significant enough to check. However, once this park ranger... I know. What? Why? You just check everything. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. <laughs> However, once the park ranger saw the missing person's poster with Madruga's car pictured on it, mm-hmm. he confirmed that this was, in fact, the car he saw on February 25th, and he led authorities to its exact location on the 28th of February. So they already waited three days, I know, which pisses terrible. me off. I know. 
I feel like that should have been looked at. In a missing person's case? Yeah, that's the first thing that you should look at. In a missing person's case, even if it's not the car, it's the same kind of car. Check. Check, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) When police found the car, there was evidence suggesting that Madruga and the other men, the other four men, had willingly driven themselves there. So it didn't look forced or anything. There appeared to be no coercion by an outside entity, and there was no evidence suggesting that someone else had driven Madruga's car to Oroville Quincy Road. So the chair wasn't messed up or anything. The mirrors were, like, for his height, it looked like yeah. he would have been driving it. Okay. The empty snack containers, which they had just purchased mm-hmm. um, in the gas station, cartons of milk and empty sodas, after the basketball game that they purchased, were all still in the car. Uh, it was empty, though, so it was just, like, wrappers and stuff thrown yeah. around. And authorities also found booklets with information about the game they attended, and also a foldable map of California, which um, Madruga's parents confirmed that he did have a foldable map in his car. Okay. So it was normal. Nothing looked crazy. Mm -hmm. Just looked like they ate and drank some milk and soda, and then just fucking ended up in the mountains. (laughs) Don't know why. (laughs) But yeah, clearly no one forced them to be up there. Yeah, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Except, of course, where the hell were these boys? Yeah, I was going to say, except that it's an abandoned car. <laughs> yeah, their boys were nowhere to be found. Okay. Authorities, along with the families of Matthias, Madruga, Sterling, Hewitt, and Weir, were perplexed at why the boys would drive 70 miles. It's not like it was just a quick trip up the mountains. That's fine. They were already 50 miles away in Chico, right? Yeah. They drove 70 miles away from where they watched the basketball game in Chico. Mm. And fa- it was far away. It wasn't on the same road or anything mm-hmm. that they would need to get on to get back to Yuba City and Marsville, which is where they resided. Huh. Very weird. Yeah. That's far. I didn't even realize so they were far. that far away from home in the first place, and then they went even farther. That's strange. 70 miles? Mm-hmm. That's insane. Mm-hmm. None of their family members recall any of the men talking about going on a trip to the mountains. And the fact that it was the middle of winter and was freezing cold in the mountains, and the five men, let me, I forgot to say this part, they didn't pack any extra clothing or heavy layers. Mm -hmm. And to the game, they were just wearing like tennis shoes, light stuff, because it's California too. Mm -hmm. They weren't prepared for this at all. Yeah. So this made authorities believe that they had not planned this detour at all, and it was either a spur-of-the-moment decision or they were somehow forced there. But either way, this was not pre-planned. Whatever led them to it happened probably, like, after the game. Yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't sound like it was prepared, especially because you mentioned before they were being so prepared for the game and stuff like that. They seem like very responsible people that if they were going to go do this thing, one, they all seem like the type of people that would have notified their parents about it if they were going to go do that. And two, like, they would have just been prepared for the weather. Definitely. And the families all said that um, this was not something that they'd ever done before. Yeah. I mean, they drove around at night to get, like, to get snacks and stuff. Yeah, that's Normal fine. Stuff. Like, locally, though. Yeah, locally, yeah. not 70 miles in the mountains. Yeah. They had also been very excited about their game the next day, and they were looking forward to compete, competing in the Special Olympics. So much, like how I said, they had left all their uniforms out, mm-hmm. got really excited for it. So why would they risk... Even if they did decide to do this and decided to, they thought they could get back in time or whatever, why would they risk staying out too late and not waking up on time for mm-hmm. the game? Or possibly in the mountains, that's not really mm-hmm. safest. Yeah, because you mentioned before, too, that one of the things that the the boys specifically mentioned that they wanted their parents to do was make sure they wake up on time. Like, exactly. They were so focused about making sure that they were there on time. That I don't think they would just be like, oh, like, well, hopefully we get back. Exactly. Uh, and to make this case even more strange, uh, Madruga, who's driving, mm-hmm. 
His parents expressed their son's intense dislike for cold weather and his lack of experience mm. driving the mountains. So he had never driven the mountains before. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Uh, and this confused authorities since he was the one driving. It was mm. his car. Uh, most likely he was the one definitely driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, Bill Sterling had, had he had been to this location only one time before when he was a teenager. Okay. And it was to go on a fishing trip with his father. But his parents told police that he hated the trip so much that his father would go back every year. He just didn't like the mountains, didn't mm-hmm. like fishing. His father would go back every year to fish, and he would never go with him again. So he only went once, and he never wanted to go back. Hmm. So why would he end up there? Yeah, especially, I mean... One, the person that's driving, if ultimately they don't want to go somewhere, if they're the one driving, then nobody's going. You exactly, know what I mean? yeah. And then, I mean, that's a very valid reason. Bill Sterling has a very valid reason for not wanting to go up there. So that's two of them already that you would think have no reason to be there. Exactly. So that is weird. It is weird. Uh, and the weirdest part, which probably you also said, um, the authorities wondered why the car was abandoned, but nothing was out of place. Mm-hmm. They did notice that the car seemed like it was stuck in the snow. Um, so it was the dead middle of winter and it was snowing a lot and heavy snow. Um, and there were tire marks on the snow indicating that Jack, Maj- Jack Madruga, or whoever was driving, had spun the wheels for a while attempting to get the car loose and drive back to the main mm. road. However, there was no attempt, they didn't see any marks, to show that there was any attempt made by the five young men to push the car out of the snow. Mm. And it was not deep enough where the boys couldn't easily get it unstuck. Mm -hmm. So police were confused why they didn't even attempt to push it. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can make the reasoning that they didn't think of it. But to me, if you're trying to drive it in reverse and get it out of there, the next option is try to push it. Especially if they're five men. Like, they would physically be able to do it. Yeah, they said they would definitely have been able to. No problem. But they it's just, not like you and me are trying to push a car out of the snow. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> no, yeah, but there was no attempt. Like, police said nothing indicated in the snow or anything that they had even tried. Now, a lot of people jumped to the fact that the boys had intellectual disabilities, but they still had common sense, and the fact that they were not too fond of this location or the cold makes me believe that they would not choose to abandon the car and go yeah. in deeper into the, the place that they hate. Yeah. Um, and knowingly put themselves in danger, I feel like they would just try to push it out. So, I don't know. That is weird to me. Yeah, I agree. Police also confirmed that the keys to the car were missing. With all this confusion about why the boys left their car circulating, police came to another potential conclusion. They theorized that the car may have broke down or ran out of gas, so the men had no choice but to abandon it and seek help. So maybe the car didn't start, right? Yeah, that's possible. However, when police hotwired the car, it started perfectly fine and there was no damage done to it. So it was perfectly capable of being driven. Mm. They also checked the gas tank while they were at it and discovered that Jack Madruga's car had a quarter tank of gas, which was more than enough to get them back on the road and to a gas station. Mm. So that theory, as quick as it uh, came, it went right out the window. And it left authorities and the families of the five men even more confused than they were before. While doing a thorough examination of Madruga's car, authorities noticed that there wasn't much wear and tear on the car, like dense scrapes and dirt and mud. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never driven on a mountain, but the police said that someone who was unfamiliar, remember Jack never drove on the mountain? Yeah. Somebody who is unfamiliar with driving in the mountains would have a lot more damage done to the bottom of the car mm. um, because of the rough terrain. So police believe, I mean, I personally think Jack Madruga was driving the car. Yeah. However, police needed other theories as well because nothing was making sense anyway. So they believed that whoever was driving knew the area well and was extremely comfortable driving on the terrain because there was no really damage at all. 
I mean, that's fair. But they said that all of the, like, mirrors and the seat and all of that was positioned perfectly for how tall Jack would have been. Yeah. Like, nothing seemed out of place. Yeah. I personally think Jack was driving. Mm-hmm. Or Madruga, we should say, because there's another Jack. Oh, yeah, Jack yeah. Hewitt. Um, Jack Madruga, I do think he was driving, but that is an interesting theory, because why was he so calm? Like, so, uh, never driving in there before. Yeah, because the car would have been messed up pretty bad. Yeah. I don't know. Now, this is just a theory, like I said, it was never confirmed, but it's just food for thought. Mm-hmm. Madruga's family, however, was quick to counter this claim, because they knew their son better than the police, obviously, and they said that Jack Madruga would never let anybody else drive his car. So mm-hmm. that's one thing about him. He wouldn't even let his other four friends drive it, um, and he was never willing to give his keys to anybody else. Mm. So he was, like, very... If there was something that he was obsessive with, it was that. Was that. He didn't want anybody else in his car, so yeah. I... so if someone else was driving it, it wasn't by choice, it was by force. Exactly. But I do think he was driving. Once mm-hmm. we get more into it, and you'll see. Mm-hmm. So Madruga's family was very confused when they learned that a window had been cracked open when the car was found, so they left one window open. Um, and they said Jack was very obsessed with safety and wouldn't even drive unless anybody was, like, buckled up, and mm. he was very, um, fanatical with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's no way that he would ever leave the window open, and, um, so they were a bit confused with that. Mm. Why was the window open? That's true. I mean, I know people that, one, don't let other people drive their car, and two, I mean, this might be one of his most prized possessions, you know what I mean? So exactly. it makes sense that he's just trying to keep everybody safe like keep it in tip-top shape so that does kind of point to like things being weird yeah i mean i don't know which window it was it might have been like the back one maybe one of the guys in the back left it open maybe that could have been it um i don't really think that's something crazy but it is a bit weird because their his family said that he had never Made such a point of mentioning that yeah um so even if he had left it alone only for a few minutes to look for help he wouldn't have left it open yeah so authorities immediately could not fully search the area due to a very severe so, uh, snowstorm that happened. So the only connection they had to the boys for a while was that car. And because, like I said, the snowstorm prevented them from searching, they had to wait, or they waited, uh, over 100 days to look for them. Oh my god. I know! It, could not, it was that bad that they literally could not look for that long. Yeah, especially in the mountains. But, I mean, even if you couldn't dig or anything, you can still look by foot, I feel like. Look around, see if they're anywhere. Yeah, alive. even if you can't do an intensive search, just walk around a little bit and just see if they're in the, like, area immediately around where the car was. Yeah, I feel like, honestly, I feel like that screwed everything up because I personally don't think that the boys died or anything right away. Mm-hmm. I think if they had just searched by foot, and you'll see why I say this, yeah. if they had just searched by foot... um. And gone to, like, different cabins and stuff, Mm -hmm. I feel like at least some of the boys would have been okay. Yeah, and then if the theory at that point had been that they abandoned the car to look for help, then they're clearly wandering around looking for help, so maybe they could have bumped into them at that point. I know, I think it was really bad. Not really bad, because I did watch an interview with the main investigator of it. Mm -hmm. His name was Jack Beecham, I feel. I can include his interview in the um, description. Mm -hmm. But he said it still haunts him he wishes he did more so i'm not gonna put blame on him but yeah they definitely could have done more Mm -hmm. all right so i'm gonna get into two so there was a lot of potential sightings um that people called in to the yuba county office but two of them stood out to two officers and they investigated further so the first one was joseph shones who is a man from sacramento california who just so happened to get stuck in the snow, too, around 5.30 p.m. on February 24th, Mm. the same night the men never came home. 
Now he was going up to kind of scout out the mountain to see if it was a safe place right now for his family to go camping. Okay. Obviously it wasn't. Yeah, clearly. Um, but yeah, so that's why he was up there. But isn't that kind of crazy? Like, what are the odds of that? Yeah. He'd be there the same night? That they just so happened to bump into each other. It's kind of crazy. And I mean, he was clearly... That was not a good place to camp if the police can't even go look for 100 days. <laughs> I know. Clearly <laughs> stuff is not good over there. It was because... Uh, I was reading about it. Because there was a drought in California, and mm. so the mountains were really, really messed up. Yeah. During the time. So anyway, while he was attempting... So he got stuck in the snow, right? He's attempting to push his car loose. So he was... If he could do it... Well, he didn't do it himself. But five men could have done it. That's what's confusing me still. Yeah. But while he was attempting to push his car loose, he began experiencing pretty severe chest pains and got back in his car because he felt weak. Mm -hmm. Joseph was having a heart attack. It is confirmed later. Mm. He did have a heart attack that night. He ended up staying and sleeping in his car overnight into the 25th. Mm. Um, And this also proves that aside from the boys not pushing themselves out or whatever, they could have easily slept in the car, if anything, until morning. stayed in the car and waited. Right? Stayed in the car, waited, because there was no cell phones during this time, so Mm -hmm. we have to also think about that. They could have just called their families. Yeah. They could have slept in the car, though, if they were desperate. Um, They didn't need to abandon it and go deeper into the mountains where it was obviously going to be heavier snow, going to be colder. Yeah. That just doesn't make any sense. sense. Yeah. As much as the car is not a great shelter, it is a shelter compared to exactly. wandering around. So six hours later, so he got there at 5.30, Joseph. I'm assuming he pushed his car and probably around six is when he got back in it. Okay. I'm just guessing. So six hours later, so this will be around midnight, uh, while Joseph was in the car in pain, experiencing the heart attack, a car pulled up behind him and parked. Um, when he looked in the mirror behind him, Joseph saw the group of men. He, conf- he he obviously was having a heart attack, but he does remember seeing these group of men. Yeah. And it was most likely the Yuba County Five, but he also reports seeing a woman with a baby with him. Weird. Very weird. <laughs> Why is there a woman and a baby <laughs> up there in an obviously very dangerous place to be? I don't know. And now this time frame puts the boys making it up to the mountain and getting stuck around midnight. Okay. So this doesn't really seem logical as they did have the game the next day. So why were they there at midnight? Yeah. And why did they get there so late? I mean, 70 miles is long. It probably just took them a while to drive there. Mm -hmm. But midnight is pretty late. Yeah. And now in their heads, they have to get all the way back to their houses. It would mean that they literally don't sleep before the game. Yeah. I don't think they would be wanting to do. Definitely not, because they wanted to win the trip. Yeah. They would have wanted to rest. They would have wanted to wake up early and get ready. So it just doesn't make any sense. Um, And also the one with the baby. What I originally thought was like, maybe, you know, a lot of people use women to lure people because you're going to trust a woman more than a man any day, especially with a baby. Yeah, 100%. So I don't know. But, I mean, we'll get into that when we get into theories. Okay. But he did believe that he saw the woman there as well. Okay. So Joseph called out to the group for help because he he knew he was having a heart attack Mm -hmm. or he just felt sick. Um, But he claims that they quickly shut off their headlights and stopped talking to each other. Mm. Then they turned on their flashlights because they all had flashlights. But when Joseph called out again for help, they turned off their flashlights and became very quiet weird i just got the chills that's so creepy to me yeah they just wanted him to have no idea that they were even there i guess apparently notice him uh now maybe the boys might have gotten frightened of joseph um thought they were in danger and ran off into the woods but this doesn't explain the one with the baby and doctors confirmed so joseph a lot of people thought he was a suspect at first Mm -hmm. he what are the odds he's the only person who sees them you know Um, but the doctors did confirm that he did suffer a heart attack and was being honest. There's no way that this guy is kidnapping or hurting five grown men. If he definitely had a heart heart attack. attack. Yeah, and the doctors confirmed it, so he wasn't lying. I don't think he's a suspect. 
So even Joseph admits um, that he thought he saw a truck, like a pickup truck, mm-hmm. park behind him for a few minutes before driving off. But he was after this car. Mm-hmm. Um, after the boys came but he was so delirious by this time from the pain that he said he admitted that he might have hallucinated that Mm. so his his although i think he did see the u county five his like um description of what they were doing or whatever it might not be as accurate yeah he might have just been in pain and just thought he saw things yeah but it would make sense that what are the odds that he would just so happen to imagine five men in a car the I know. same night that five men happened to disappear in a car. <laughs> like, so he definitely saw them. Maybe the actions that they took aren't accurate, but they were definitely there, I think. I think so, too. Uh, so, he, you know, he, like, he thought he might have hallucinated the pickup truck, which, mm-hmm. remember pickup truck, because we'll get back to that, too. Okay. Um, he might have also hallucinated the one with the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, or he might have thought he saw it, but the pain from the heart attack, combi- combined with the pitch blackness as well, especially mm-hmm. if their headlights are shining and they're behind you. Yeah. It's not like they pulled up next to him. It might have just, you know, caused his eyes to play tricks on him. Possibly. Still, like you said, I do believe that he definitely saw the five men, and I don't think the woman with the baby should be completely discredited. Yeah, I... I don't know. He was clearly, at least at that point, able to notice his surroundings somewhat. Yeah. So, I don't know. To me, a woman and a baby, like, that's so specific. Maybe if he just saw, like, a sixth person, you'd be like, okay, you're just imagining an extra person. Yeah. But that's such a specific scenario. Because you wouldn't be counting the people if, like, you just didn't think you had to remember them. Yeah. So I think that's such a specific scenario that I kind of think that she would have been there. I think so. And the baby. And also, he... The doctors did confirm that he was having a mild heart attack because, obviously, if it was severe, he probably wouldn't have made it. Yeah. He lasted a whole night by himself. Uh So it wasn't that... I mean, he was in pain, but it wasn't to the point where he was just losing his whole mind. Um, Now, the families of some of the men took issue with the claim that they might have gotten frightened by someone begging for help and run off. Yeah. Ted Weir's mother told authorities that Ted would never ignore somebody's cry for help, and he ran towards situations as opposed to away from them. Yeah. And also, two of them were in the military. The the army, yeah. So they... Or the, yeah. Yeah, so they 100% would have, I don't know, not made sure that this person had help. Yeah. I just feel like in kind of their training, like, that's just what their instinct would be. Yeah, one of them was Gary. (laughs) Fair. <laughs> One of them was Gary Mathias, which Fair. we'll get to. But uh, I think Jack Madruga, yeah, he was in the uh, military, too. I think he would have helped. Yeah. Um, and Ted and Bill Sterling, both of their parents, once um, they told police that both of them once helped somebody who overdosed on Valium get safe, get safely to a hospital. Mm. So they ran towards these situations. If somebody yeah. needed help, they always tried to help them. Yeah. Huh. Granted, it was dark out, and they were unfamiliar with the territory, so nobody can know their state of mind. I guess, but also, mm. I don't know if there's five of them. I don't think all five of them would be, get scared of one person. Exactly. You know? One person who's in pain. I mean, obviously, you could have just been lying if mm. they thought, if they got panicked or whatever, but there is five of them. I I think they would have helped him. Yeah, at least one of them would have been like, oh, let's see if he's okay. Or And if all five of them go over, then one exactly. guy is not going to be able to hurt five guys. Like, I know. It's not going to happen. Alright, so now for the second potential sighting, because I feel like, I thought about this, so I'll tell you about it first, and I'll thought about, I thought about something while I was researching that I never had even thought could potentially be it. Okay. But anyway, a woman who worked in, in Brownsville, okay. which is about 30 miles from Jack's abandoned Montego. There's so many, okay. there's so much distance going on I here. I know. So that was 30 miles away from where they found the car. Mm-hmm. She told authorities that four of the five men came to the store in a red pickup truck two days after their disappearance. Now, I initially was like, a red pickup truck is so random. Yeah. But re-researching it and thinking back, he saw a pickup oh, truck behind him. if he did see him. a pickup truck, then... 
that's... Well, what, did they hijack this pickup truck? I don't know, because it was four of the five men. There was nobody else driving it. It wasn't, like, a random driver and then four men in the back. Mm. So I don't... I, I think he might have been hallucinating the truck, like he thought. Yeah. But you can't discredit it, because she also saw a red pickup truck there. Yeah, so now two people that say that they witnessed these men are attaching them to a pickup truck somehow. So it's a little bit sketch. Mm, very. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, I mean, if anything, that's crazy that... Two days later, they're still around. Two days, right? Yeah. And 20 miles away. Like, if they couldn't... It's 30 miles. It's so long. Yeah. Yeah, So, I don't know how they would have gotten that far in that weather, all that stuff. Now, authorities believe that this source is credible and the woman was not fabricating the story at all. Mm -hmm. Because the owner of the store also... She was a worker there, the woman. But the owner of the store also came out and said that that four of the men were in the store and she saw them as well. Or he Mm -hmm. saw them. So, I mean, it's credible. It's, yeah, that's why would you make that up? Now. That's, you wouldn't make that up. That's so, such a random thing to say. Yeah. So the woman said that she took notice of the boys because they had, like, large facial features. And she just said, like, I don't know. She really remembered their faces very well. Mm-hmm. And the woman identified Jack Hewitt and Bill Sterling and said that these two men were in the phone booth outside trying to make a call. Mm-hmm. So Jack Hewitt's brother thought this was strange because Jack hated using phones so much that his brother had to call the other men to get messages delivered to his brother, mm. to Jack. But still, maybe he was just in the phone booth with Bill and Bill was using Yeah, phone. he might have just been hanging out with Bill. Yeah, that's, that's not too sketch to me. Mm-hmm. Now, the store owner told police that Ted Weir and Jack Hewitt came into the store and bought chocolate milk and burritos. Okay. <laughs> so Ted's family said that this was strange for the boys like, very strange, to nonchalantly be buying food and driving a random car, knowing that they, like, missed the basketball game, because this was two days later. Yeah. They I, they just felt like it was a little bit weird that they would have been so nonchalant just going to more yeah. grocery stores. However, Ted's family agrees that the store owner's account is valid, because the way he describes the mannerisms of Ted and Jack Hewitt were mm. consistent with how they behaved. Yeah. And also... They said Ted would eat everything that he'd get his hands on. He loved burritos and stuff. So yeah. the fact that he bought that, it was Sounds like... Sounds like an order that he would have. Yeah. Uh, and Ted's family also confirmed that he was closest with Jack Hewitt and would always go to places with just the two of them. So it would most likely be them two going in the store. Yeah. So who's the oddball out here? Four men Gary. go in. Where's Gary? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Where, where's Gary, Matthias? Don't know. Now, this might have not even happened, but the fact that... I feel like that's pretty credible. Yeah. It's not like they were like, oh, I think these men came in. Yeah. They knew. She was like, no, 100%. They identified the, the two. two that were in, that yeah. were out. Where yeah. the hell's Gary? Duh. Sketch. Gary, <laughs> sketch. Oh, man, Gary. I can't get over him. <laughs> All right, so this is so crazy, this case. It gets even crazier. Okay. Just wait. Now, let's get into the discovery of the bodies. Okay. Because these men were found, okay. unfortunately. Um, okay, wait. Pause for two seconds. Yes. The, so they were in the gas station. They said... Two days later? Yeah, two days after. Okay. Um, so the 24th, they went to the game, the uh-huh. basketball game. They were supposed to play on the 25th. However, mm-hmm. on the 24th at midnight, so I guess yeah. technically 25th, they ended up in the mountains. Okay. And two days later, so it would probably be the 27th. Okay. They ended up there. All right, so let's talk about the discovery of the bodies. Okay. So months passed. As I said, 100 days passed. So they disappeared in February. Mm. The police couldn't search until June because it was cold. June! <laughs> Are you insane. kidding me? That's crazy. What? They could have fro- They froze. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. When you search, at least by foot, that's, like, so frustrating to yeah. me. But anyway. <laughs> months pass by with no turn-up of the young men. Mm-hmm. And the winter gets colder and the snow just gets heavier, making it impossible for authorities to check until it was melted. <laughs> 
On June 4th, a group of motorcyclists... This part pisses me off. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so they went to a trailer that the Forest Service puts up for people who may be camping and need to stop for food and heat. Okay. Now, this was 19.4 miles from Jack Madruga's abandoned Montego. Okay. When the police search that, it's a trailer. Mm-hmm. They, so what happens is this um, park... I guess it happens a lot. I don't camp yeah. enough to know that. But um, <laughs> they put up little... Not stations, but little, like, cabins. Yeah, that makes sense. Cabins with heating, with food, so people can stop in, get mm-hmm. food if they need to. Even if it's snowing so heavy... You can still get inside. Not even 20 miles. Go check the trailers, at least. Yeah, that makes sense. This part is very You're not frustrating out to me. In the snow where the weather's really bad, you know what I mean? You could have definitely looked at that stuff. They could have saved, because I'll, I'll get into it, but the group noticed, the motorcyclists, that there was a broken window, and as soon as they entered the trailer, they were hit with a foul stench of what was Ted Weir's decaying body. Okay. He... Ah. Oh, that's frustrating. He yeah. could have been found. Mm-hmm. Immediately, mm-hmm. if they just looked in the trailers, looked in yeah. the cabins, yeah, at least he could have been found. That's like very frustrating. Anyway, the next day, eleven point four miles from the abandoned Montego. Mm-hmm. So the trailer was nineteen point four. That's where okay. Ted was. Eleven point four miles from the car, the bodies of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling were discovered, and they were both eleven point four miles. They were just next to each other, kind of, mm-hmm. or on opposite, but like close by. Yeah. They were discovered half-eaten by animals, and the autopsies determined that they both died from hypothermia. Mm. So just from being out there. So what it appears to me, at least, is that Ted made it the farthest mm-hmm. um, into the cabin, as he made it almost 20 miles. And authorities believe, this part's really sad, and I just wish that they could have found them, because authorities believe that one of the boys, either Sterling or Madruga, died first with the 11.4 miles away from the car mm-hmm. and the other refused to leave his side mm. slowly succumbing to hypothermia as well that's why they were with each other yeah and that's really sad and those were the two that you said were best friends right no that was jack hewitt and oh, okay, ted okay, okay okay this is jack madruga the guy who's driving the car got it got it got it got yeah there's two jacks <laughs> it, like i said the names are confusing but i'm trying to get the information all yeah yeah all right so two days after this Jack Hewitt's own father, this part's really sad, mm-hmm. discovered his son's body. Mm. However, it was his shirt. So his clothes were scattered, like scattered, his body was scattered. Mm-hmm. And he picked it up and just his spine fell out. Oh, Can God. you imagine discovering That's your own kid? Insane. Because he was part of the search party. They spent uh-huh. 6,000 hours searching. Um, and his body was under a bush about two miles away from the trailer that Ted was in. Mm. Why wasn't he with Ted? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Um, his death was also determined to be from hypothermia. I don't know. It's just confusing to me why he wouldn't be in the, t- in the trailer, at least. I mean, it might have just been that Ted was able to, to get the furthest. It, that, like, actually make it there. And the rest of them just succumbed to the cold earlier than he did. Yeah. So, roughly a quarter of a mile from the trailer, the three Forest Service blankets were found and a flashlight. And this was on the side of a road. Mm. Um. Okay. And no trace of Gary Mathias, either alive or dead, has ever been found. Oh, so no one has no, any idea where he no is? one has no idea where he is. His body was never found. He, his, he, no trace of him ever. Really? This guy, yeah, really, never until this day, like still never. Where is Gary Mathias? Why has he never been found? I mean, because even if he like survived or whatever, he would have been in the cabin, or so- he would have like somebody would have said, "Oh, I picked up this guy." Yeah. That's very weird. Gary's insane. He's he's so smart, I feel, though. Mm. I, as much as I want to hate on him, as I get into it, you'll okay. see why. 
he's just kind of really smart. Yeah. Like, Gary, like, oh, where is he? It's frustrating. So do they think that the flashlight and stuff like that were They think that, so I'll get, yeah, I'll get into that, but they think that maybe the flashlight and blanket, he went up to the side of the road, left it, and got in the car. Yeah. Now, I think it's sketch that the store owner and the person who worked there, like, pointed out all the other boys but Gary, because Gary, he typically wore glasses, Mm -hmm. so I feel like he'd be the one that I would remember. If somebody had glasses on and the other four didn't, I'd remember him out of everyone. Yeah, 100%. Especially since the other four wouldn't, then that's a distinguishing feature. I know, so it makes him more sketchy, especially that he was never found. Mm -hmm. So I want to jump into the evidence in the trailer first, where Mm -hmm. Ted's body was found, Okay. um, before I go into any theories or anything. The autopsy shows that Ted had died from a combination of hypothermia and starvation. Mm. Now, wait, keep that in mind, because (laughs) wait until I tell you. So he had lost, he was 200 pounds, and he lost half of his body weight, so he was only 100 pounds by the time they found him. Mm. And his beard was long, indicating that he had lived. This part is so frustrating, because he had lived... Now, there's differences in um, the amount of weeks, but roughly 13 weeks after finding a shelter in the trailer. Wild. And they waited to search for them. They could have found him. Yeah, 100% would have. 13 weeks, that's a long time. You know how frustrating it is? However, the Sacramento Bee, which is the article that I am going to explain later, which only came out in 2019. Okay. That's the one I'm really excited about. Because when I started researching this case, it was 2017, and there wasn't many articles. Mm -hmm. Or there was, but it... It was all saying the same thing. Yeah. The Sacramento Bee released information that really changed it up the game. Okay. Um, but anyway, I'll get into that later. But the Sacramento Bee said that he most li- likely survived six weeks after finding shelter. Mm. Now, that's still long enough. Still they could have found time. him. That's still more than a month. Before a month, you should have sent somebody out there. To look in the trailers. Nobody's mm-hmm. saying dig. Yeah, yeah I know. It's you winter. You can't dig. Whatever. If you went in the trailer to, like, whoever's searching... Has is going into a place that's heated. It's going into a place that is comfortable indoors. And they know that um, the like forest people mm-hmm. put up the like have these shelters for yeah. people who need it. They yeah. know they're there. Yeah, search them. It's you know how oh, it's so frustrating because mm-hmm. he could have been okay. Yeah, especially if the autopsy clearly proves that he lived for a decent amount of time. Afterwards. Decent amount because his beard was long and yeah. Anyway, on the table beside Ted was his wallet full of cash and some jewelry that he owned. Interestingly, a gold watch um, was also on the table with his things, yet Ted's family said this did not belong to him and they had never seen it. Mm. So, I mean, maybe that was just, maybe they just didn't know he had it, but... Was it any of the other guys? They don't think, they don't know. I mean, maybe it was Gary's or someone's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Back to Gary. (laughs) But I don't know. His family didn't recognize it. Okay. Um... There was a half-melted a half melted candle on the table, mm. and Ted's shoes were gone and nowhere to be found at this time. Weird. Yeah, so remember that, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the craziest thing about all this, Ted... This is insane. Your mind's going to be blown. Ted died from hypothermia and starvation, yet there was a fireplace that had never been uh, lit. Mm. There was also heavy clothing inside the trailer provided by the park services. Yeah. That was... Which would have kept him warm and he would have been okay. They were still in storage untouched. Weird. Mm-hmm. And although it appears that Ted or whoever was in the shelter mm-hmm. had eaten some cans of food, there was a huge closet of food that would have been enough to keep all five men alive for a year. A year, if need be. There was like 31 unopened packets oh, that of food. That doesn't make sense at all. Nothing was touched. He just starved to death. Why? I don't know. It was like not touched at all? Nope, it wasn't open. It was completely closed, the cabinet. That's crazy. I know. 
And, like, all the extra clothes that would have kept him warm. I feel like... Or at least light the fireplace or something. I feel like that's the most understandable one. If you told me light a fireplace, I wouldn't know how to tell you to light a fireplace. If you were gonna die? I wouldn't know if I'd be able to figure it out. Okay. But, another (laughs) shed... Okay. ...which was next to the trailer... Okay. ...had a butane tank in it. A what? (laughs) A tank in it that would supply heating to the trailer. Oh, okay. It was untouched, too. See, as you know, I wouldn't... (laughs) I would, I would probably freeze to death. But I would have at least taken out the extra clothes and blankets or whatever. Okay. I think I would have tried any way to get. Oh, I would have tried, of course. Yeah. When I worked, I don't know, but wouldn't have tried yet. Yeah. Although this is strange, Ted's family did confirm that he did lack common sense and like social cues. Mm -hmm. So. Maybe he thought they were like, oh, these are someone else's. I can't touch it. That's what I'm thinking. I it doesn't. It's not that weird to me if it was just Ted in the trailer. But yeah. also, we'll get into it. I don't think it was just Ted. Okay. <laughs> but um, it would be weird if it was just um, like if it was somebody else. But the family said that he. This part made me kind of think. Oh, he thought it was somebody else's stuff. Mm-hmm. The family said that he stayed in bed one night during a house fire because he didn't want to miss work the next day. Oh my god. So he he the house was on the fire. Yeah. <laughs> the house is on fire and his brother came in and he said, Leave me, I have to wake up early for work, don't take me out, and his brother carried him out. That's crazy. So it's not that weird now that he wouldn't touch mm-hmm. food or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also I feel like instinct would kick in at some point. It was life or death. But yeah. also the other one was life or death too. Eh? So. Yeah, if he was literally thought he was about to burn in a fire, yeah. like that is the same level of severity. That's true. I don't know. So, evidence shows that Ted was not alone in the trailer, and Gary (laughs) Mathias's... I'm sorry. Gary. Gary's tennis shoes were found inside. Okay. So, I think he stole Ted's shoes. That's what it's looking like. Okay. It may... Yeah, this may explain why Ted's shoes were missing. Maybe Gary thought they would withstand the snow better than tennis shoes, which was what Gary was wearing. I guess. Um... So, it's looking like he took off his shoes and stole Ted's. I guess he saw Ted was going to die or something. That makes sense. There was also a P-38 can opener, which was used to open the cans of eaten food. So, nothing was touched, but there were a few cans that were opened and eaten. However, I don't think Ted ate any of them. Because Mm -hmm. Gary was in the army, and he would have been familiar with this from his military training. Mm. So, he was most likely the one who got into the food. Yeah. Now, you can say maybe Gary was just trying... A lot of people don't like him, because... Yeah, maybe he was just trying to survive, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling that he didn't give Ted any food. He didn't try. He he knew how to light the fireplace, and he just yeah. didn't. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he was sabotaging Ted in a bit. Yeah, that Gary could have actually helped both of them. But oh, Gary one hundred percent knew how to light the fireplace, how yeah. to like where the clothes were, where the food was. Yeah, he ate the food himself. I'm assuming. I mean, maybe Ted had some food, mm-hmm. but I mean, he lost a hundred pounds in like six. Oh weeks. yeah, hundred percent. He. If he was willing to eat some of it, like, I feel like his body would be so hungry that it would kind of force him to eat more of it if he knew how to get to it. Definitely. I think Gary might have maybe sabotaged um, Ted a bit in this situation, but I don't know. Maybe. But I think Gary was definitely the only other one with him because the tennis shoes. Yeah. How else would they get there? Mm -hmm. Gary was obviously there. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some theories. So even though the death seemed to occur naturally from the cold weather and starvation, investigators have no clue why the boys were up there in the first place. Yeah. What led them there? No idea. Uh, a lot of people were saying... A woman and a baby. <laughs> a woman and a baby. <laughs> a lot... Ooh, I didn't think about this before. What? Maybe the woman and the baby was there, and Gary knew her, and she was the... Maybe he did go up to the road, 
leave his stuff there and she was the getaway car that's why nobody ever came forward and was like i picked up this hitchhiker maybe oh shit i just thought about that right now maybe i don't know i like to think about all the different theories <laughs> possible so um yeah i don't know why the boys were there a lot of people hypothesize that maybe there was a tree down or something and they had to take an alternative route and got lost but it's like 70 miles I guess away they could have got lost but i don't know In the I mountains like I feel like at you some point around. you're wrecking well, especially because the one had been at the mountains before, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Sterling Bill. So he would have realized that, oh, these mountains are so far away from a home. Like, the should Hebo. be going in the opposite direction. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really feel like that's very logical. Even if a tree was yeah, down. At some just... point, even if you get lost, you would realize, oh, we're getting farther away from home, not closer. A forest service worker had walked towards the trailer the day before to clear off snow from the trailer's roof. So the 19.4 miles trailer. Mm -hmm. So one speculation is that the boys may have followed the footprints in hopes of finding either another person uh, for help or finding shelter. Mm -hmm. And maybe Sterling and Madruga succumbed to the cold on the walk towards the trailer. Because they were only 11.4 miles away from the car. So maybe they died like right away. Yeah. This could also be... um, Matthias, like I said, who left those items on the side of the road and got into possibly the red pickup truck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's theorize here. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> if the woman with the baby was there, that's a good theory. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though. Authorities suggested that once Weir, so Ted, mm-hmm. um, was close to death, the others maybe set out on foot to find civilization again, thinking they could walk the 20 miles um, back, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I maybe died. I don't know. Those are just some theories that people are yeah. throwing around. Maybe they all were in the trailer, but there was no evidence of the other boys in the trailer. Having I feel like there'd be there, something. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, because Gary would, had paranoid schizophrenia, but also it was 1978, um, he might have just had like PTSD from being in the army, and they just yeah, labeled it schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't diagnose him. Yeah. I don't know him. But maybe he thought his friends were like after him. It was like a schizophrenic trip, and just he hurt maybe. them. That could have been something. Yeah, and I mean, if it's PTSD, I feel like it's possible. I don't know, maybe he, like, realized the severity of the situation and was, like, feeling life and deathy, and then he was like, oh, like, I don't know, brought him back to war or something like that. And maybe. so that's why he, like, freaked out and went to that state. Yeah. Now, here comes the article, okay? <laughs> this is okay. exciting for me because I've been researching this case for so long, and uh-huh. finally only last year this came out. Okay. Now, the way they were painting Gary before this article came out was... He was, like, a lamb. That's what they would call him. He mm-hmm. was, like, the other boys. A lamb, very trusting to everyone. Uh-huh. He would um, go with anyone type of thing. Kind of like how the other boys were. Mm-hmm. This article shakes up your whole thoughts of Gary. Okay. Uh, not that I, you know, made him a good person <laughs> to begin with. Uh-huh. But this is going to blow your minds. Okay. So, in 2019... Um, Police, or before 2019, before the article was released, police in Yuba City allowed the Sacramento Bee to read the uh, records of the case, okay. read through everything, as long as they wouldn't take pictures of it or, you know, show anyone it. Mm-hmm. So they were allowed to read it and make their own article on it as long as they weren't going to bring it out of the station. Okay. So that's exactly what they did. And it definitely paints Gary Mathias in not the best light. Mm. Um, so all this information was disclosed to the public. So when this came out, I was very excited. So let me get into the article. I find it insane that it took 40 years for this information to be released. That's true. I didn't even... It didn't, like, register with me how long ago this 1978 was. It, it feels like not that long ago. ago. I know. Yeah. yeah. It, it feels like not a lot, but it is. Yeah, because there were so many times when you were telling it to me, I was like, oh, they could have called someone. They could have used this. And it's like, no, they wouldn't have had any of that. I know. Mm. So the Sacramento Bee discovered that Gary, although he was oftentimes grouped with the other four men, as I explained, he was, like, a lamb. That's what mm-hmm. they called him. 
He was not intellectually disabled at all. And he was completely logical when he wasn't having a schizophrenic episode. Mm. Okay. So he did have schizophrenia, but when he was on... Like, when he wasn't having an episode, he was completely just logical. He could think straight. So, that's something to think about. Yeah. Gary was also the newest member of the group, which nobody Mm. knew about before. Okay. They was just grouped to five. They were great. Five great friends. They were great guys. Uh, The other four knew each other for a long time, and Gary had only known the boys for less than a year. Mm. He was put in a psych ward. So, this is just facts about Gary I'm just going to hit you with, (laughs) and then you can make your judgments, Okay. Okay. Gary was put in a psych ward after he had a bad a bad drug trip when he was 15 years old. Okay. So think about it. The other boys, um, all their disabilities started showing when they were very young, mm-hmm. very chill, like very young children. Yeah. Gary, his first real break was when he was 15 years old, and it was the result of the bad drug trip that mm. he was placed in the psych ward. Okay. Gary used drugs all throughout his time in the army until he was eventually diagnosed, like I said, with paranoid schizophrenia. He also punched a guard in the face um, and ended up in jail saying, I don't like the army and don't want to be here anymore. This is a quote. I thought if I punched the cop, they'd let me out mm. of the army. Okay. He was also caught. This part pisses me off. He was caught touching his cousin's wife. So his cousin's wife was sick. She took sleeping pills and okay. went to sleep. He was caught touching her. And Gary told his cousin that... To call the police for touching. He was, like, on top of her, like, being creepy and shit. Mm-hmm. He told his cousin to call the police because he wanted to end up back in jail anyway. What? I mean, maybe he knew he was a danger. Hmm. That maybe. That he wanted to be. I don't know. Maybe. A few months after this incident, Gary threatened to stab a woman in the jaw and told the woman's three-year-old child, this is a quote, I thought I'd kill you once. I guess I'll have to do it again. Because mm. he couldn't, he didn't get, ever end up killing them. Mm. Now, a very crazy thing that I read, which puts him hitchhiking, it's not as crazy as it sounds, Mm -hmm. um, the fact that he might have been hitchhiking. So, Gary once broke out of a psychiatric facility and walked 80 miles home, which is something something I would do. I I walk so much. (laughs) I feel like I can walk 80 miles. Definitely not. But But that does make a lot of sense because he was one of the people that was able to get the cabin exactly and he was one of the people who might have been able to leave the cabin even though it was freezing cold he was in the army he probably was trained in Mm -hmm. temperatures to you know be able to get through it yeah and 20 miles is not a lot when you think about him walking 80 miles if he can walk 80 straight i'm sure he can walk 20 oh wait until i get into this now so (laughs) this part's crazy he lived with his grandmother for a period of time in oregon okay and after his mother called and begged him to come back home, he, sh- he hung up on them. He said he wasn't going to come home. However, a few weeks, I'm assuming, later, he showed up dirty, and he was on foot, and he told his mother that he had walked the 540 miles back <laughs> and survived on dog food, and he stole milk off porches. Milk to drink. Wow. Interesting. Why? I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> I don't know, maybe everybody else liked milk too, but I don't know, every time they went to go get food, they'd be getting milk. They'd be getting milk, right? Yeah. I know. So he walked 540 miles where he yeah. checked it. That's insane. If he could do 540, 20 yeah. sounds like nothing. And then if he ended up on the side of the road, it'd be easy for him. He's hitchhiked before, he can get a ride, he knows how to get it, he knows how to go where he needs to go. Definitely. So the last incident I want to discuss, because there is a lot, um, is when Gary broke into a couple's house and told them that he was looking for a ring to return to Satan and told the couple to pay him rent because the house was his. So he was very delusional, I yeah. guess you can say. Uh, supposedly, 
he joined the Gateway Projects, which is where the Gateway Gators were part of, uh-huh. the Special Olympics team. Uh, and he met the other boys there, and he straightened himself out then. Like I told you, um, like I told you before, they said that he kind of made a recovery. Like, they were surprised mm-hmm. by it, remember? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know him personally, so I can't judge that. Yeah. But he did do a lot of crazy shit. Yeah, that is true, though. I forgot that you mentioned that, that, like, they said that he was, like, such a success story yeah. when it came out. But all this stuff, well, most of it happened after he would have been discharged from the army, right? Yeah. Huh. And it's important to note, like I said before, while the other boys had intellectual issues since they were children very young, Matthias's issues really began when he was a teenager, so it is generally generally believed that drugs warped his brain, unlike yeah. the others. Mm. One very... Oh my god, this thing is insane. <laughs> so, this thing kind of paints him really sketchy. Okay. So, one very suspicious thing is that Gary's longtime friend named Janet and Zara... Okay. She did an interview after the 1978 uh, incident of the Yuba County Five, and she said that Gary told her many times that he had a dream and a, like, a recurring vision where he and several others would disappear and go missing. Okay, well... <laughs> this wasn't just one time. Yeah, he told her many it. times. Yeah. I'm like, uh, was he yeah. trying to make that vision a reality? Come true. Maybe, honestly, maybe he was just driving and he didn't even think about it, but then that he had like a psychotic break or something and that vision he kind of yeah, told them to go up to the mountains. How they, how would, because he wasn't driving. He wasn't driving. So how did he get them to go up there, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I'll get into that. But the other boys' family said that they did not know at all about Matthias's violent history and arrest record, mm-hmm. but they did get bad feelings from him. So mm-hmm. the other boys' families didn't really like him. Mm-hmm. They said he was the only one of the five boys who would fight back when confronted. And this is why I said I'd get to it. He was usually the one who suggested where they hang out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they probably might have listened to him. Yeah. If he's usually, like, the leader and the influencer, then they might have just genuinely thought it was a good idea to do what he said. I know. Now, I don't want to say anything bad about his family, mm-hmm. but after um, all this came out, Matthias's family was acting very suspicious. So all families agreed to do interviews and TV shows, like Unsolved Mysteries, I believe, mm-hmm. wanted to do an episode on it. All the families agreed, but his family declined and they like just fell to the face of the earth in the sense where they were not reachable. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. However, I don't... Like, maybe they knew where he was, but also, I don't think it's okay to just assume that, because if that was my sister, for instance, um, who... I probably wouldn't want to... I would not do any interviews. Yeah. I would fall off the face of the earth, too. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to... Because if you already know that in the media he's being portrayed in a negative light, then there is a chance that even if you say something that's in defense of him or makes him look good, it's going to be twisted into a way to make him look like the main suspect again. Exactly. And he's the only one who wasn't found, so they probably just assume... It was not going to be good for the whole family. Yeah. So I don't blame them. I would be quiet, too. I would, too. And I, I will link the article also in the description, because it's mm-hmm. really good. Um, you can read it, or you can just listen to it, which is nice, mm. so you don't have to do any reading. So the lead investigator, Jack Beecham, remember him? <laughs> <laughs> so he believes that Matthias, Gary, okay. led the boys up to the mountains, but he believes that Matthias succumbed to the elements, and they just didn't find his body. But, I mean, it's 40 years. You'd find something, I feel like. See, the part that's confusing in all of this is... Okay, so then why were the other ones at a gas station two days later? 
That's what I'm wondering. That's the Gary whole wasn't thing there. that throws me off. Me too. That's the one part. Because I can totally believe, okay, they got stuck in the car and they decided to get out and get help. The two of them made it all the way. Then maybe he had a psychotic break and that's when everything started from that. Yeah, like maybe Gary led them there and maybe he was like, oh, I know of help over here. You know, mm-hmm. and they just trusted him. Mm-hmm. I could see that, but I don't know. That confirmed sighting seems very uh, valid. Yeah, that's the part that I don't understand. Yeah. Or maybe, but they weren't living out of the car at that point. Because, oh, but maybe they were because didn't it take them a while, a week to find the car or whatever it was? Like three, it was the, so they got up there on the 25th. Mm-hmm. It was the 28th they found the car, three days. So maybe Which they I mean were, two days later. So maybe they were staying in the car for a little bit of time. Maybe. And then that's when the other four went to go get the stuff and then Gary was still in the car. That's smart. I never thought of that yet. Maybe. And then Gary was still in the car and they got back to the car and that's when they went out. And then by the time that the police were there or anybody saw the car, the, the car was just found or whatever. Maybe at that point, they had, that's when they had already left. Yeah, maybe. That's good. I never thought of that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack Beecham believes that Gary died out there mainly because he would never be able to get schizophrenia medication off the grid, which he needed. Mm. And he could not stay out of trouble without it. So he believes someone would report something, like a violent offense. That's true. If he did get the hitchhike and did go off. One, if he hitchhiked, the person that he hitchhiked with probably would have noticed that something was off with him and said something. And besides that... Unless he he knew them. It could have been his family or the lady with the baby. Maybe. It could have been his family. Yeah. I feel like his family might be covering. I wish But then would his family have known prior to that he was going to take them to the mountains? I don't think the family would have let let him leave if they knew that that was his plan. Yeah. And he wouldn't have had any way of contacting them in between that time. Because no phones. Yeah. Like his family would probably just be trying to protect him. Even if he had told them he wanted to do that, they wouldn't let him go. Yeah. That is true, though. If he got away, it would have been hard for him to cover up him being okay. And then once he was on his own, like... He would have done something that alerted some sign, like kind of authorities. Yeah. So Jack Beecham believes that Gary, this is not proven obviously, mm-hmm. but he is the lead investigator, so he was trying to theorize as well. Yeah. He believes that Gary may have stopped taking his schizophrenia medication in preparation for the basketball game because mm. he didn't want anything to interfere, you know? Okay. Um, and maybe he took the other men on a schizophrenic induced trip up the mountain. Uh, and even Gary's family confirmed that when he was on medication, he was completely fine. Yeah. But the minute he stopped taking it, he kind of went off the deep end. So then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so many theories. So then maybe all of that stuff is the same. He took them up into the mountain and like all of that part of the story is exactly the same. Do you think he wanted to hurt them when he took it up? That was his intention? I I wouldn't have thought of unless it was the vision of I had this I have this recurring dream. Maybe he of just wanted just disappear. Maybe he just wanted to disappear. That's with what them. I'm gonna say. I don't think he necessarily and wanted not to hurt them. hurt them. Because they did die of natural causes. He never put his hands exactly. on them. Exactly. So it's not like he physically tried to kill them. Exactly, and he could very well be just dead as well. Maybe he just got really far by foot and then died. Maybe. And succumbed to the elements. So I don't want to p- completely blame him, but because he's the only one who wasn't found, and yeah. he's the one who is the most sketchy, Yeah. it kind of makes you feel like he got away. Yeah. So, I don't know. Because I don't think somebody would have been able to... Like, like, I don't... I think somebody would have found him at this point. Yeah, for 40 years, I don't think he'd be able to hide. So... Maybe he did, like, die somewhere. Maybe it just took him a while. Maybe he died within the 100 days. Maybe. But just so much longer past everybody else that he was so far away at that point. Yeah. If he can walk 80 miles or whatever, like, he can get far. I just want to know what caused it, because he was also excited for the game, his family said. I know. I don't it would think have had he... to have been that he stopped taking his medicine, because I don't Maybe. think him in a perfectly fine state, which it seems like with the medication, he could have been in a perfectly fine state, like, 
he would have wanted to go to the game. Yeah. I mean, that's all the article said, but that all that stuff about his past never came out until that really until that article. So that was like a mind. Yeah. I was so shocked because I always just saw him as everyone's blaming him. Stop blaming Gary. Like I was always on his side, yeah. which I still kind of am. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I don't hate him. You have to give him someone of a benefit of the doubt because obviously he's like suspicious and obviously he's going to be the first person that people look to. But if there's no solidified proof, and also especially because the autopsy show that the other men, they didn't die by an outside force of a person, you know? Yeah. So you do have to give him somewhat of the benefit of the doubt, and you can't really jump to conclusions on him. But it is hard not to be like, Gary. this guy has something to do with it. Yeah. So that was it for the article. Well, I just want to finish off with what the families think happened. Okay. Because they know them better than, you know, yeah, we do. Yeah, makes sense. So, Jack Madruga, who was driving, remember? Mm -hmm. His mother says that Jack was either tricked or threatened to end up there, and that, quote, an outside force was controlling them. That's what I would believe. I don't think that, just from descriptions of him and what you've told about him, about how he's very particular about his car, um, I, he's one of the most, you said, like, capable. Yes. He was also in the army. Yeah, so that makes me feel like he's not someone that would make a rash decision like that. So, so you don't think he would, even if Gary told him to go up the mountain? I don't think he would. I really don't. I think, I think the other ones would. Just because they said things like, like Gary made most of the decisions. Yeah. So maybe, I guess a possibility. But in my head, I feel like maybe Gary would have been like, maybe not threatened him to the point of like, you're going to die if you don't do what I tell you. But like intimidated him enough to the point where he felt like he had to go up there. Yeah. Now, Ted Weir's sister believes the men witnessed something they should not have seen at the basketball game and were, or at the, uh, the gas station. Because, yeah. I mean, the basketball, why would they go to the gas station then? Yeah. And they were being chased up the mountain. That's what she genuinely believes. That's not a terrible theory. Yeah. Maybe it was whoever had the pickup truck. I mean, the yeah. pickup truck magically appeared. Yeah. And I think that as much as, like, you can't really, I don't think you can completely discredit the guy who was having a heart attack, Joseph his um account of the pickup truck i feel like yeah. that's vital like it especially because it popped there. up twice exactly yeah and the pickup truck and the i think that the pickup truck was actually there i don't know if anyone hurt them in it but yeah. i think it was there so a year later the the families of the boys wrote about them trying to bring awareness so that people would not forget them because you know after a year goes by people yeah. kind of stop talking about it mm-hmm. especially the bodies were found naturally died um mm-hmm. People kind of just were like, whatever, Gary probably died too, and that's yeah. it. Now, the families were upset with the police work. And they... Don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them either. And so, they kind of just focused on that. So, this is a quote from their letter. It reads, questions but no answers. Bitterness some. Anger sometimes. Bewilderment always. When your son leaves home with friends to go to a basketball game, do you always put your arms around him, give him a kiss, and remind him how much you love him? You really should. He may never come back to you. So the families, yeah, they kind of just wanted to keep their memory alive. Um, Do the other families, especially because you said that they weren't really fans of Gary in the first place, do they have any contact with Gary's family? Um, With Gary's family? I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't think. I think Gary's family kind of just, maybe they still talk like in person to them, Mm -hmm. but they kind of, they won't do any media stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And basically, uh, Ted Weir's sister is the one who said that they thought she was chased up the mountain. But his brother really believes that Gary is to blame for the four deaths and that mm-hmm. he maliciously brought them up there and knew that they couldn't survive outside and mm-hmm. did it on purpose. 
and got away. I don't know. And that's it. That's all, all the theories. I mean, even if he maliciously got him up there, them up there with the intention of them dying. It's so I just, random, though. I don't see him getting out of it. Like, I don't see him getting away, and I don't see him... After he walked 500 miles? Well, okay, literally. No. He literally like, walked 500 miles. I, I can see him getting out of, like, the mountain area. Okay. But I don't see him having been able to... Maybe he got in a car, because it would make sense, because that stuff was found on the side of the road, and he wasn't there. So he probably did get into someone's car... But, like, I don't see no one, if he's off his medicine and he's gonna be rash and make terrible decisions and possibly commit crimes, he's been violent, clearly, yeah. in the past before. I don't see it for this long, him, records of him doing something somewhere else haven't come up. I know. Me neither. But... But I do think he probably did get in the car and get I away. I think so, too. Because of the stuff on the side of the road. I know. And the fact that he could just survive anything, it seems like. Or he might have just got on the road and just started walking down the road. Yeah. But then uh, where would he have ended up? I don't know. I mean, either way, he seems like a fighter. I can't say I hate Gary. As much as I shit on him this whole podcast. I don't want to because I don't know. Yeah. I kind of want to... I think that he did have something to do with... I think so, too. Everyone else. I think he maliciously knew Ted... Didn't know how to do the turn on the heat. Didn't know how to get the cans. Or That's or the part that f- bothers me about it because I would believe it that if they got up there for reasons outside of him, like that might have had nothing to do with Gary. The other two dying just on the walk to the cabin that also doesn't to necessarily do point to Gary. But the part that there was open food, but this guy died of starvation shows I think that Gary one did. of them ate and one of them didn't. Yeah, I think he definitely might have been malicious with it. But I also there's a part of me that kind of wants him to be alive and doesn't i don't hate gary i don't know it's hard (laughs) i don't know but yeah that's pretty much everything please send in your theories it is such a frustrating (laughs) one send us your theories we'd love to hear them there's really not one conclusive one that we can say yeah but yeah this is a great case i love it okay guys so my conspiracy for this week something a little lighter okay (laughs) you know we just did talk a while about kind of a depressing case definitely depressing (laughs) So, what I'm going to talk about for a little bit is the Face App app. Okay. So, what is that? this was the app that came out in 2017. Okay. It went viral in 2017 and then re went viral uh, in 2019. So, basically, the main feature on the app, it does a couple of other things, but the part of the app that made it so popular was the feature where you would upload a picture of yourself and it would make yourself old. Okay. <laughs> okay. It did other things. Some of the other things it did is if you give it a like straight looking on face, it'll impose a smile onto your face. That's creepy. It is a little creepy. And it's very detailed too because they mention it, the app's creator. They talk about how when you put a smile on the face, it doesn't just, it's not like you just move the lips, you change, alter the entire oh, look like of your like face. Oh, like you like smile. Yeah, like so you know when you smile, like you squint up a little bit, your cheeks go up, so it messes with your whole face. So that was one of the other features it does. Um, so the the age one is the most popular, but it did have a bunch of other filters that you can use in it. So I'm going to try to pronounce this guy's name, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Odds of me being able to pronounce it or low, this is probably very off. <laughs> He's Russian. Okay. His name is Yaroslav. Okay. Gunkarov. <laughs> Gunkarov. <laughs> I'm just going to call him the CEO of FaceApp, okay? Okay, he's the CEO. He's the CEO of FaceApp. What's it called, FaceApp? FaceApp. Okay. Yeah. 
he created it in 2017, like I said. Um, when he started it, it was just with a small group of people. He worked with about 10, 11 people, they said. Um, he was 40 years old, which is kind of, I don't want to say funny to me, but he's 40's not old, but it's older than someone that would typically be using this kind of app. Yeah. So I think it is kind of interesting that he was able to have the insight that this app would kind of take off. Uh, he obviously has a big background in uh, the just the internet world and app world. He basically was one of the people that helped create the Russian form of like what Google is in America. Um, he also has worked with uh, Microsoft, um, and he was a software developer on the Windows mobile phone. Okay, bef- like which you know came out before like the iPhone and Android. So really he took was off. young then. Yeah. Okay. So he's been working in the technology field for a really long time, right? So there's nothing really super suspicious about him in particular. Um, the, oh, by the way, the search engine that he helped create was Yandex. Okay. So when it was sold, it was sold for $38 million. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he has never publicly disclosed how much of that $38 million he like pocketed. Um so after his work with Microsoft and Yandex, um, he is known as like a engineer. Okay. And he was always fascinated with the idea of being able to digitally create faces, just software that would kind of work like the human brain and be able to like, you know how when the brain, when we like see people, you like see it in your head and that's yeah. how it's like perceived to you in your eyes, however it is. So he's always interested in creating software that was able to have that kind of technology behind it. Yeah, fun fact. It's actually upside down on your retina. I have heard that. No, yeah, because I I, for psychology, I yeah. kind of take a lot of sensation and perception. It is it's upside down on your retina, and then your brain. And then what your brain interprets. Your brain it the interprets, other way. It as, it interprets it as like straight up. That's so weird. Why would your eye see it upside down? Every, you see everything upside down, pretty much. That's very weird. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he was always interested in that kind of technology, um, which. Of course, I'm not saying that specifically this is proof behind it, but it is interesting that this app is so well used. It's just like, oh, this is just a fun little filter thing for people to do. But his motivation behind it was something like much deeper and more like he wants to create software that literally works like a human brain. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it kind of puts into the fact that the possibilities of the face app are much deeper and possibly more dangerous than just a fun game. Yes. Um, and also, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna make a whole episode about this because it's absolutely crazy. But do you know what like a deep fake is? No. It's basically. Wait, is the, that like? So the ability to like put anyone's face yes. on anyone else I've seen in a video, that. and it's insanely realistic. Like I've seen um Selena Gomez on this like porn. Yeah, I mean, star yeah, or something. And the porn star was mad. I don't know if she's a porn star, but she was upset because it was like her content they yeah. were stealing and putting Selena Gomez's face on. Yeah, and they do like comedy videos I've seen with it. I've seen people just put like it's celebrities creepy. on faces and then it's just like a joke. Yeah. But at some point that technology can be really manipulated into something I don't like that. Really evil, honestly. So as much as this is not that because you are using your own face, it kind of ties into that technology a little bit. So it's already something that people are uneasy about in the first place, yeah. you know? So, the, like I said, the app really took off in 2017 and 2019. Uh, 2017 is when it's created and just when it first became popular, especially in America. Obviously, it's a Russian app, but where it really took off is in America. Um, so, the part about the app 
that really freaks people out is obviously when you take a photo of yourself, it is being given to the app. When you get any app, it asks you for basic permissions of what it's allowed to do with your mm-hmm. phone, right? Yeah. Honestly, if you look into some of them, it's like crazy the things that you just like, I agree. Yeah, you don't do even read these it. Things. And some of the most basic apps that we use can easily sell any of our things to third party people and legally we can't do anything because technically we agreed to it can snapchat do that i don't know know? if snapchat can i do know facebook the whole issue with facebook in recent years has been that they use your data for third-party people for just for advertising purposes that's why facebook whenever you're on it the ads are so relevant they to what are you do. everything i look up it's there yeah and you'll google something and then the next day there's yeah. an ad for it on your facebook that always creeps me out so that that's always something again like privacy in recent years has really just been a huge thing that people are aware of more nowadays yeah. um so the thing specifically about face app how it does it is instead of t- you upload a photo And instead of uploading the photo onto the app and on the hardware of the app itself, it editing your photo, it takes it up into its own cloud and its own server and then edits the photo there. Okay. So basically, although there's no specific proof of this, now any photo that you've put into the app, that agency, like the company that owns FaceApp, has it in its own software. Okay. So now it has all of these faces that anyone i mean not anyone but the company has yeah they have all your faces yeah and a lot of similar apps it doesn't just take it into its own separate cloud and its own separate like hardware because it's just able to do it directly onto your phone and so that is weird because realistically there are other apps that do it on your phone so it's not necessary so they are just taking all of these pictures that's really (laughs) creepy yeah very and this has had countless of millions of people have used this app before. So it has millions and millions and millions and millions of faces. Hmm. Yeah. So also one of the other things that people get a little worried about is when you sign off onto it, it basically asks for permission for your camera roll. And so a lot of people are nervous that this app is taking all of the photos from your camera roll. Oh, I was roll. thinking that. So yeah. it doesn't just ask permission for your camera, it also asks it for asks the photos? It asks it for your camera roll. Yeah. So technically, <laughs> should, technically, it is on paper supposed to just take the picture that you upload. <laughs> yeah. But it, some people think that it's just taking all of your photos and taking Yeah, them. I feel like it is. It's so creepy. Yeah, and technically you are giving permission for it to do it yeah so, so they can't say you can't say oh they took it yeah they're like we told because you. it's like oh well you signed off here's yeah. where you signed your terms of agreements and huh. then go from that but so the the defense from the company itself that the ceo that i was talking about before <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whose yeah. name that shall guy. not be mentioned <laughs> um he has said that the I- original idea behind FaceApp was that he wanted to turn it into more of a social media, like, platform, which How I didn't so? really understand. He s- basically, he said he wants it to be a social media platform of faces. Like a MySpace? Maybe. That's how I'd I envision it. That. That's how I envision it, because, like, Facebook to me is more about, like, your information and sharing outside stuff, and this one just seemed to be he was looking to do something with faces, and he said... So, yes, their privacy policies are very vague in general right now, but the reason that they had it like that 
was so that if they ever expanded it to be a social media platform, that they would have the capability to do that without having to completely, you know, re have people download a new app, have people re-sign terms and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's his reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. To me, I don't really understand the logics of that. I don't either. <laughs> I don't really know what that accomplishes. So there wouldn't be any words? It would just be kind of selfies everywhere? Kind of. Hmm. From his like, description, that's, that's what I got of it. Like yeah. From his description, that's what I got of it. Huh. But he's never really said, like, the specifics of this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And in 2019 is when, uh, because originally in 2017 is when it took off and then it re-became popular in 2019. So he, it hasn't been long enough, per se, for him to have completely developed this idea. But up to this point, it hasn't been expanded to be that mm-hmm. platform yet. Um, the other thing that they say is that the photos, they claim that when the photos are taken up to their server, they're only held on to for a couple of days at a time, just either to clear up their server or things like that. However, there's no way that they can technically prove that. Yeah. And I feel like pictures are just always there. Yes. Once you have it. Yeah. It never goes away. There are, oh, this still goes more into deep fakes too, but there's... There's, I don't remember what it was called. It was on John Oliver. So look up John Oliver if you guys want to find out. And I'm going to talk about it in another video. But there's basically a website where you can literally find any photo that has ever been publicly put up of you ever. You can put in literally anyone's name and it instantly comes up. For free? For free. That's creepy. So like any photo that you've ever taken and has been in the public at some point. I'm going to find it. I'm going to tell you about it okay. in the next couple of weeks. That'll probably be one of the next things I do because so that John strange. Oliver video really messed me up. <laughs> now really- I'm suspicious of like every camera I ever see on the street ever. <laughs> so really, every everything that's ever been put out in the public, you someone to find it. Mm. It's, I remember the video that he showed on it was a like reporter that was just reporting about the website and they found a picture of him from his local newspaper from when he was like three years old and he was like in his 40s ew that's yeah. creepy i don't like that yeah so this stuff is always around right yeah. so a lot of people are like okay well they're claiming that after two or three days the photo is going to disappear but really they could hang on to it mm-hmm. and which is even more worrying if they're taking a hold of your entire camera roll then they have your entire camera roll, which is not even things you're putting out into the public. It's just your private photos. And technically, they might be in the cloud somewhere in this server, right? Hmm. So, of course, there's no definitive proof. Obviously, they're never going to come out and be like, yeah, we take all of your photos and we use them in our database the entire time. They're going to see all my pictures of my dogs. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe there's 100 pictures of Buddy and Louie up there. That's really all I have. <laughs> and memes. Yes. <laughs> so... Um, the, there has been a lot of politicians and things like that, that have said that please avoid using the face app at all. Um, in, as I believe it was in 2019, um, the DNCE, the Democratic National Convention Committee, you know, they, um, have suggested that it's not clear the privacy risks 
and to avoid using the app whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that although there is no proof of the risks, the risks of it outweigh the benefits of the app. Yeah. And so they said to all of their employees that if you or any of your staff have already used the app, we recommend that they delete the app immediately. That's creepy. Yeah. So, and that was sent out by the DNC's security chief. So, yeah. I... That I makes think, it seem like it's actually something. Yeah. I think maybe someone found something that might be suspicious of it and instead of just telling everyone they were just like listen like just don't use it if you don't need to because again realistically at this point at least it's just a fun filter Mm -hmm. so they i think inherently a lot of the reason that people are suspicious is because the company is from russia (laughs) (laughs) so i think a lot of people just instinctively get suspicious <laughs> when Russia is involved in most things, mm-hmm. especially with the elections. I think that's especially why a lot of politicians are the people that are like, be careful about this app. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I don't see how necessarily the faces could swing an election, but I could see if they want to edit your photos and put out bad publicity for a politician that they don't want to win a race that's like true. i feel like that's possible yeah or if they just get a hold of a photo on your camera roll that is the one that shouldn't be on your camera <laughs> and they release that like that's not good you know what i mean yeah so it is a lot of politicians that have just straight up said like please like do not use this app it's very dangerous um yeah so it alters so the photos itself it is also a little suspicious that they always claim that it's so so detailed and they need to bring it to an outside server but the face app literally takes seconds so to me i'm like i don't know i think it's my i have had thoughts okay (laughs) that maybe they do take all of your photos yeah and the reason why it literally only takes like one or two seconds to edit it is because they've already had your photos and Uh have already been able to edit it okay that makes sense you know what i mean yeah yeah like, I haven't read that, but I one of the things that keeps coming up is how fast the Face app is able to make this filter, despite it being so detailed. And they just say it's because, oh, because we take it to an outside server and don't do it just off, based off the data on your phone. So it's like, if you do it that fast, maybe it's because you already have it. Maybe. On dock, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just send it in. I feel like I'm high. <laughs> I mean, these are kind of those kinds of thoughts that yeah, you Yeah, they're have. like high thoughts. Yeah. And just one of the other things about the app that people get a little nervous about is that there has been incidences of when a person has said not granted permission for the app to use its photos, but then the app still being able to take download one of your photos and do the filters, even though technically you didn't it, it, it doesn't have permission to use your camera, it shouldn't be allowed to use your camera to take the picture and put on in the first place. How did there has been cases it? of that happening. How? because when they've clicked on on any app when you go into your say like an app on your iphone when you go into settings you can disable specific permissions within itself so like say i have a game i have some games that like have access to like say my notifications but don't have access to my photo and i can like hand choose which of those things i wanted to have permission to do Mm -hmm. so they have gone into the app and turned off the camera function of it but then it still uses its photo. Okay. So some people have thought like, and that is that those are incidences that have for sure happened. So it thinks that this app is overriding some of those permissions that legally it should not be allowed to do. Hmm. 
Hmm. See, I don't really follow this kind of stuff because I just can't wrap my head around um, anything related to phones or technology. <laughs> I don't even know how to disable it's anything. It's fair. I don't know, like, yeah, I don't know how to disable or enable anything, but that sounds valid. Yeah. So those are just the main suspicions on it. Um, obviously, I think a lot of it has to do with it being Russians. <laughs> However, I do, I think that this is kind of a scapegoat for scapegoat for just how many apps and everything use your data yeah. without you even realizing. Definitely. I think people know it too, but they're just so used to it. Not yeah, you are used to, used to always having apps on. Yeah. So you don't really question it anymore. So I do think a lot of people are kind of using this as a scapegoat for a bigger issue. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, I mean, despite all of this, the app has been extremely successful and apps like this have been extremely successful. Um, also, the CEO, <laughs> he owns 100% of the company. Hmm. So besides like paying his employers, he's making all the profits from this. And like Damn. I said, the last stat that I read, I believe it was in 2019, they had had at least 80 million people use the phone. I mean, use the app. So that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, apps like this have always make a lot of money snapchat is valued at almost 200 million uh, and it got bought for billions like it's uh, any app like that is making a ton of money that's crazy so that's basically it on that um he he hasn't like i said made the expansion on the app but I mean, I'm curious to see if he actually does make it a social media app. If he never does make it, that's going to make me more suspicious of it because then he had all of these broad policies and it necessarily makes oh, it look true, like it was for yeah. no reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, that's my feelings on that. Um, get excited for my other conspiracies on, like, privacy issues yeah. and security stuff. Because I don't know about that because I don't know much about some it. Some of that stuff is absolutely crazy, and your photo is in every government official's hands at all times. Wherever you go, like, you're being watched, really, is how I see it. We live in Big Brother, and we just don't know. <laughs> so, <scary. laughs> so, I mean, this was supposed to be a lighthearted one, and this is a lighthearted one. It's just an app where you use filters. <laughs> but, yeah, so... We hope you enjoyed this episode a lot. Yes, thank you for for your continued support. And thanks for always listening, queens. All right, and that's all we have for you this week, folks. Catch us every week for Freaky Friday with the Queens of Queens. Bye, queens.